So, you know, that I love to bring back guests who I have befriended and just fallen in love with because of their information and their brain and their knowledge on things. So back with me again is Karen Martell. We had such a great time doing this. She really dove deep into my Dutch panel. So as you know, I did a podcast a few weeks ago where I compared my blood labs and my Dutch test. And I kind of had some questions on the Dutch of its validity and accuracy. And I presented those arguments in that podcast. Now you're going to get the other side of the Dutch, which is the beneficial side and what my Dutch test showed me. And we're still going to talk about the blood. We're still going to talk about the blood. Karen did a little bonus at the end going through a ZRT urine, dry urine panel as well from one of her clients. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So you're going to get to see the differences with that. And this is just going to be fun. Just take it in, see how it applies to you. Maybe you need a Dutch, maybe you don't. You know what? We'll figure that out, but just get the information in and learn from it. That's what it's all about. All right, guys, we are back and I'm bringing back one of my favorite people to have on this podcast and my friend, Karen Martell. She's a kick-ass podcast host too. So you got to go over and listen to her, The Other Side of Weight Loss. That's where I started listening to podcasts. I started with Karen's and then just That's expanded so awesome. from there. I know. I don't know if I ever told I'm you flattered. that or not. <laughs> Absolutely. So you give such great info and you are a much better interpreter of the Dutch test than I am. I did a podcast a few weeks ago where I didn't slam the Dutch, but I just questioned a couple markers yeah. because I was comparing it with my blood work that I had done and what the Dutch test showed. And you've helped me understand the Dutch so much that we decided to kind of do a counter podcast to that one of what can you get out of the Dutch test and other type of more in-depth hormone testing and what are the benefits of it? So Karen, thanks for coming on and going through this with me. I know. I feel like we should call this like coffee with Karen almost because it's 8 a.m. for all the listeners to hear this. It's not a.m. for Amy. It's 8 a.m. for Karen. Right. <laughs> That's pretty early for me. If you saw what my hair looked like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> so I've got my coffee because I have not finished it yet. Yep. But, there you go. So we're going to be having coffee with Karen and hormones today. Coffee with Karen and hormones. I like it. <laughs> yes. So where should we start? I know you and I went over my Dutch test and you know all my my blood lab values, which I can bring up if you need to see those, but where should we start with all this? So I think to start, let's tell the listeners just, okay, 
what are we looking at? Why is, what is this urine metabolite testing? Cause that's what Dutch is. It's a dried urine metabolite test. There's a couple different companies that do these. Dutch is one of the bigger ones. It's a, it's the most comprehensive test that you can do on your hormones. It gives you the most information. And so we're going to go through Amy's results and I'm going to compare them to her blood labs And I'm going to kind of tell you basically, why would you want to do this? What is this test telling you? You know, why can't I just go out and get some blood work? It's a heck of a lot cheaper. And then also comparing it to what does this tell us about your thyroid? Because there's not a single, what looks to be a thyroid marker on the test, but it tells you a lot about, it can tell you a lot about your thyroid functioning. Okay. So we're going to go through that. And then I'm going to show you guys also other options that you can have as far as testing goes when it comes to your hormones. And I'll, I'll explain the difference between the serum, urine and saliva testing, because most people get very confused about it. So that's what we're doing today. So let's start with your Dutch test. All right, let's do it. So those of you that are listening and not watching, which is majority of people, at least on my podcast, I'm sure is the same. (laughs) I will try my very best to explain what I'm looking at, but really you're going to, if you want the full picture, which you should get the full picture, please watch the video. Um, yep. It'll be up on Amy's channel. You have a YouTube channel, right? Yep. Yeah. YouTube. I've got one too. So everybody can watch it there. I'll also air this on my Facebook page. Um, Amy can as well. Yep. So when we So the dried urine test, you're peeing on these strips over a 24-hour period, and what it's measuring is your hormone metabolites. Mm -hmm. And the hormone metabolites can, A, tell us how you're breaking your hormones down and processing them, but it also tells you, it's a reflection of your levels, of your free hormone levels. So when we produce these hormones out of the ovaries, out of the adrenals, many places that hormones come from, they are bound to sex hormone binding globulin, that at least your estrogen, testosterone, and a little bit of DHEA. And then there's other protein carriers. Uh, There's one for cortisol, there's ones for thyroid, thyroid binding globulin. So what when uh, Amy just did a whole podcast about this, so I would go back and listen to hers on sex hormone binding globulin because it's this like hormone that nobody's talking about that we should all be this protein that nobody's talking about yeah. that we should be talking about. Be and yep. as Amy says, it's the bus that carries around, or do you call it a train or a bus? I can't remember. I say a bus. <laughs> I'm kind of commuting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're using all different vehicles. (laughs) Pretty much the hormones have to travel through your body and they travel bound to a protein. When they're bound, your body cannot utilize them. They have to get off the bus and dock onto a receptor on a cell receptor so that the body can utilize it. Well, we only have about one to 3% of actual free levels of hormones. So it's called free when it gets off the bus, it's free from the bus, the transportation, and it now can be used by the body. So most of the hormones kept stay bound to this carrier protein. So when we test through blood, That's what you're testing. You're testing all levels, free and bound, not free, all bound, but some of that is going to get off of that bus and become free. So it's bound up. It can 
be a reflection of how much free you have. But a lot of the time it isn't. So blood work, you look at it and you're like, whoop, I've got lots of estrogen. Look at this range on this serum lab test. It's from 200 to 2000 and I'm in, I'm at 300, so I'm fine. So one ridiculous range on serum lab testing, like ridiculous. The other thing is we can't tell from that how much free hormones you have for your body to utilize. So it could look like you have this amazing, these amazing amounts of hormones, but they're bound up. And this right. has happened to me recently. I, my estrogen looks like it's in this like amazing range on blood work and because I'm on thyroid medication, my SHBG, that's sex hormone binding globulin, my protein, my bus mm -hmm. was elevated, still yep. within range, but we want it to between 60 and 80 in functional ranges. Mine was at 120. Mm -hmm. Amy's is at 160. Right. This is relevant for later. So our hormones, our estrogen and testosterone are super bound up. But do you think that my doctor told me that? Do you think my, my even my hormone practitioner did oh, yeah. not catch this? And yeah, so not tested enough. Exactly. And so here I am. I have had to put be put on testosterone and estrogen because I'm getting menopausal symptoms. Thinking, oh my, what's going on here? Because I didn't understand that. I didn't know even that thyroid medication raised this. So mm -hmm. now that factors. I, right. Like nobody tells you that you can't find this information. I happened to hear a doctor talking about it. And then I heard you talking about it too. And it was like, hello, why are not more people talking about this? Well, and the crazy thing is, even though that is one of the causes, it's not like I'm going to lower my thyroid medication just to get the SHBG down. Cause then I'll feel like ass. I'll be 10 Which pounds heavier by the end of the week. So it's kind of like this balancing act of if your SHBG is high, yeah, your thyroid medication and the testosterone that you take could be raising it, but maybe look at the other factors too, because you certainly don't want to drop those two vital hormones out yes. of your life. Exactly. And I was on, I was taking replacement therapy. I still am because I'm having all these symptoms, but yet I have fine levels. It's just that it's bound up and I can't use it. So this is, super important to understand. We want to see what's available to the body and we want to see how our body is breaking it down. So before you go slap on all these hormones, you do want to see how is my body breaking this down? Like you could get acne, you could, you know, have an increased risk of breast cancer. And we're going to get into that today. So this is the first page. So we're looking at Amy's estradiol levels. And when you look at on a Dutch test, there's two stars. We want you to be in between the two stars or a little bit above with the estradiol. So Amy's coming in just under halfway. This little purple marker is menopausal ranges. So if you're not on HRT, you're going to likely be down in that purple if you're menopausal. Uh, not everybody, some women do continue to produce estrogen as they age, uh, especially if they are overweight because our fat cells can make estrogen. Amy's progesterone looks beautiful. She's right smack in the middle between the two stars. I mean, it could be a little bit higher, but she's actually doing all right. And with what she was telling me with symptom wise, she's, she's feeling good. So right. that's great. Um, and then we look at her testosterone. 
it's in the menopausal range. It's under the star. So the, the, the range is 2.3 to 14. Amy's is at 1.3. So this was the big red flag for her and I. We're like, oh, oh my gosh, this is terrible. You've yeah. got no testosterone, yet you're taking testosterone. What's happening here, you know? Right. So I I always have my clients when I'm seeing them as in, in my my master's program or in my private clients, I always have them do blood work on their hormones for this reason. I want to see what the bound levels are. I want to see what the SHBG is. I want to see what the thyroid's doing because we need to be able to compare the two to get the, the best picture of what's happening. Mm-hmm. So thankfully, Amy was also doing blood work, but we hadn't got them by the when we were doing this. So we were like, huh, what's going on here? Right. And of course, it what happened was you asked your doctor for a hormone test. And since you're a woman, they think that you only have estrogen. So I right. did get the estradiol pulled, but we didn't have the testosterone, the progesterone, all of that good stuff until we do now. So, yeah. And we want to see a marker called follicular stimulating hormone, because this is a marker of kind of how far into menopause you are, perimenopause. It starts to go up as you age because your brain's trying to stimulate the ovaries to continue making estrogen. So we know that once it starts getting above 10, that your body is struggling to make that estradiol. So when I looked at Amy's and I was like, okay, it's on the lower side, but it looks okay. But then we look at her FSH and it was, what was it, Amy? 14? Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I was over 10, but not quite to like that 25 where you start pushing menopause. Exactly. Yeah. We, there's research that shows when you get between 20 and 25 is when we see weight gain in women. So when, you know, if you suddenly go, how did I just gain 10 pounds all in my stomach in, you know, six months? This is that likely the FSH has gotten up to that marker of between 20 and 25. I see it all the time happen this way. Not to say it can't happen before that, it can, or after that, it can. But this is, there's research to show that that's kind of that magic number. It's not so magical. (laughs) And that goes up when estrogen goes down, right? Estrogen is the, the hormone that really controls the FSH dial. Yeah. So had I not had you test the FSH, I would have been like, you're fine with estrogen. You know, you're just take some phytoestrogens for right now. You should be okay. And she still might be, but we also want to catch that before she starts gaining weight if she is going to. So taking a very baby dose of estradiol replacement right now could be of benefit to Amy. If not, even just getting down her sex hormone binding globulin could actually be enough to help her utilize that estrogen better for right. the time being. So, and, and we're, we're both working on that. And by the way, Amy, I did try and do that. I was like, I'm going to slow down on my thyroid medication so I can get my SHBG down. Well, one week and Karen was depressed and I had yep. gained five pounds, not kidding one week. So I was yeah. like, I went right back up. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I've done that myself. Oh yeah. Thankfully, Dr. Amy, thankfully, has created a SHBG lowering supplement, and you cannot find this in too many places on the market. So I've got my shipment just came in, which I'm super excited to get started on, and we can talk about that later. Okay, so now we get to Amy's saliva profile. So she took the Dutch test that includes 
not just urine, but also a cortisol saliva test. Now, the Dutch, this is called the Dutch Plus. There's one that's Dutch complete. It's less money, and it's going to still test your cortisol pattern, but it's going to test it through urine. And saliva is considered the gold standard for testing free cortisol levels. But I do find that the urine is pretty accurate as well. Okay. So Amy's, you know, you think, oh, that doesn't look too bad. <laughs> right. Or it looks really bad. I don't know. I mean, if I <laughs> right? saw this on a patient, I'd be like, the hell's going on in the morning there? Exactly. So if we look, we can see, so we're looking at the blue line. That's Amy's levels. When Amy first wakes up, her cortisol level is above range. So it's pretty high. This is a really important marker. This is, you know, when you wake up, cortisol then slowly starts picking up. And within a half an hour, what we want to see is that her cortisol doubles within a half an hour. Amy is waking up with it already doubled. So this tells us that her HPA access is struggling. So she's a little stressed out, which of course she is. If she's anything like me. I don't even want to see my cortisol levels. True. Yes, we, we need to practice what we preach, everybody. Um, <laughs> true. Uh, so we know that she's got some high stress happening. It comes down nicely the way it should after that. We want to see that it's, you know, halfway between those two black lines, and then we want to see it double, and then we want to see it taper down as the day goes on. That's mm -hmm. the that's a nice cortisol clock. If we look over here, the first dial that we're looking at is a collection of all of those together. So it tests five markers of cortisol. This dial is taking all five of those and putting them together to say, this is how much cortisol, free cortisol you're producing. Amy's at the high end of that range. So the range goes from 9.6 to 19. Amy's at 15.63. So once again, a little bit, you know, it's not like it's horrible. Trust me, I have seen women that are way over Oh, yeah. Where they're like saliva cortisol is in the hundreds. It's like, oh my gosh, how are you even walking around without, you know, jumping out of your own skin? Because you would just be like, me. Well, and at that point, you have to be worried about it then eventually tanking because yes. our adrenals can only make so much cortisol for so long. And then basically the adrenals say, all right, screw you. I'm not going to make anymore. Like there's only so much we can pump out. So then you go into the true adrenal fatigue. Adrenal fatigue gets thrown around a lot, but true adrenal fatigue where you are flatlined low then. Yeah. Which yeah. I've been there before. And that caused a lot of my weight loss resistance. It really mm -hmm. affected my thyroid. So yep. too high cortisol and too low cortisol both affect thyroid function both cortisol and thyroid have this very synergistic relationship together. And this is actually where we can get a lot from the Dutch is if we look at this total saliva, we see that it's elevated. Then we look over at the metabolized cortisol. So this is a sum of all cortisol being produced free and total. Amy's over range. So when we see a metabolized cortisol over range, it can mean a few things, but mainly 
it's a sign of a little bit of, for her, a smidge of hyperthyroidism. Sure. It's, it's you, you can think of it as your metabolism. So metabolized cortisol. It's like, how fast is your body metabolizing that cortisol? And if you've got a good functioning metabolism and you don't have thyroid issues, we want to see that it's metabolizing at a good rate. So I've been able to catch a ton of hypothyroid where people had no clue that they had it because their blood work looks good. And their blood work can honestly even be in the great ranges that Amy and I talk about. But yet they still have all these symptoms of thyroid going, oh, but yet I'm still so tired. I can't lose weight. I'm losing my hair. You could do this test and go, well, you are under metabolizing, which is a sign that you could have hypothyroid. It's a big sign that you, it's the number one reason why we'll see a low metabolized cortisol. So you could have totally fine free saliva levels. Everything looks great. And then you look at metabolized and it's bottomed out. Mm -hmm. So the only reason that person has saliva cortisol is because they're barely metabolizing it because they have no metabolism thanks to their thyroid. Yep. So I hope that that makes sense. Hey, definitely. Okay. Yeah. And then if we look at her total DHEA production, this is another adrenal hormone. And this specific dial is telling us what her DHEA production is, as well as the two metabolites that this test is testing. So collectively, she's a little under halfway. So this typically happens when somebody has high cortisol for a long period of time, it will actually first drain the DHEA. We, we first see it going up with cortisol, typically. Mm -hmm. So when you're a little bit of that HPA axis overstimulated, you've got a little too much stress in your life. Mm -hmm. So cortisol is going high. Then DHEA will meet, meet that because it's an adrenal hormone too. And then it keeps staying high. That cortisol DHEA starts to go down. So we'll see that DHEA go down first, typically before that the cortisol starts to drop. Like Amy said, it would. Now, so, will you see that on a blood blood panel too? We use, because I've seen elevated DHEA in patients who are not taking DHEA. So would that be their first sign of, Again, that adrenal function kind of going amped up, going wild, and then eventually they're going to plummet. Does that match up with blood? It can, but you would want to look at the cortisol as well, which is near mm -hmm. impossible to test in blood. Right. But let's say you just did a morning cortisol, which would be the best time to test it if you're going to go th through serum, and that was elevated and the DHEA was elevated, then you could be like, this could be adrenals, right? This, then you would want to do a more comprehensive test to really find out. But DHEA is also an androgen hormone. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see that elevated in women that are androgenic or that they have polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. So then you would look at if it was blood work, we would then, if they, if we see a high DHEA, we would look at the cortisol and we would look at the testosterone Yeah, because typically if it's that it, they're androgenic, which just means more masculine hormones, then we would see the testosterone typically will also be elevated with the DHEA. And then you'll know, mm -hmm. and then you look right. at the blood sugar Blood sugar also is tied into that with polycystic ovarian syndrome, as well as thyroid is. So we would look at that. So once again, we want to see what the blood work's doing yep. to match up with this. 
All right. So page two is just a sum of everything. It's easier to look at the dials. So hopefully we're not losing people that are listening. (laughs) No, you're making this really easy to understand. Okay, great. So if we look once again at this is now her DHEA sulfate, which there's DHEA and there's DHEA sulfate. Uh, We have mostly DHEA sulfate, but DHEA converts down into DHEA sulfate do very similar things, but we can, so this is taken out of that marker that we just looked at, and this is it by itself. That dial that we looked at above was a combination of these two metabolites of DHEA and DHEAS. So now we can really see, okay, Amy's not doing great with her DHEA sulfate. She would benefit from taking that likely as a supplement. I would though look still at her DHEA because sometimes you could have a lot of DHEA on a blood marker and then low DHEA S. So we just, we would want to confirm that it is low and then we can supplement with some some oral DHEA. Oral DHEA is preferred in my books over actually topical. So That's Amy could use a little bit of that, and that would help support her adrenals. And DHEA, interestingly, it's not what's called, uh, it doesn't have a negative feedback loop. So I think probably Amy's talked to you about this if you're her client, which is you start taking thyroid medication, it has what's called a negative feedback loop. Your brain says, oh, there's lots of thyroid coming in now, let's shut down our own production. And so you got to kind of keep it going up so that you have a physiologic restoration of that thyroid right inside the body. And that's why doctors get it so wrong because they'll give you this baby dose like, oh, here's your 25 micrograms of T3 or T4. And that's not what your body, how much your body naturally would produce if it had a healthy thyroid. And so you start taking that and you might feel a little bit better because it's going to top up your own production for a bit. But then eventually it's going to drop back down. And this is why we want to test that thyroid consistently when we're first starting out, because sometimes it'll be like, oh, this looks so good. And then the person goes, I don't feel as good as I did three weeks ago. And that's typically because their own production has now dropped. And so you have to top it up with some more medication. Mm -hmm. Okay. So her testosterone, once again, so let's remember the Dutch, the urine testing is looking at, it's a reflection of three levels of hormones. So when we looked at this, we were like, oh, you've got no testosterone. You're going to have to raise your testosterone. Then her blood work came in and her testosterone, her total testosterone was what? Three, six, one showed 360, one showed 377. So in the high threes. Right. So this is yeah. masculine ranges. This is mm-hmm. what the low end of the man uh, man's range is around that three, 400. The top end of a woman's total testosterone range is usually 50 or 60, depends on the lab you're using. So, (laughs) but this was her total testosterone. Yes. And then we looked at her sex hormone binding globulin. It's at 160. Mm -hmm. So we know that even though Amy's got all this testosterone in her body, she should be growing a beard at this point. (laughs) Right. And I have a theory I'll, I'll, I'll release once yes. we get through all this, but yeah. yeah. And your theory was my spot DHT on. Was high. My DHT was high too. So I know you'll get to that. Yeah. Yes. And so we know that 
Amy's got plenty of testosterone, but it's being bound up by sex hormone binding globulin. And that's being reflected in this test. It's showing that she does not have a lot of available testosterone. Now, testosterone is the only blood marker besides thyroid that we can test free levels of in blood. And Amy's free levels, even in blood, were low. I think they were 20. Yep, 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a little too low in the functional ranges for testosterone for a woman uh, that's 48, which that's how old Amy is. So that right. for women that are older, we do like to, they tend to feel better when it's in a little bit higher than that. Mm -hmm. Anywhere from 30, 40, 50. I've even had women, many women that go up to 100. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they, that's where they feel their best. They do. They yeah. feel great there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and I think it overshows in blood work. So I don't know how accurate that marker is just because I have so many women that come to me like, I feel great. I'm only on, you know, four milligrams of testosterone a day. And then their blood work is like 120, 150. And they're like, I feel great. And yeah. Not, and that's where I you don't have, have to go by how they, yeah, yeah, exactly. Go, go by how they feel as long as they're not, like you said, getting cystic acne. And now there are people that will show this same pattern on, on the Dutch that, that I show that Karen will be, go over that they'll get acne at the first drop of testosterone. I mean, it's like breakout city. They're 15 again, they're growing a beard, the whole deal. So it's very interesting to see how, different women react to this very same pattern. Yeah. Which is why we don't want to do pellet therapy. I'm pretty against pellet therapy for yeah. that reason, because mm -hmm. pellets are these little pellets, like they look like little seeds that you get implanted in your butt and they last anywhere from three to six months and they release testosterone into the system. But once they're in and under the skin, you can't get them out unless you go get them surgically taken out. And I have worked with women who went and did this because it's the most available source of testosterone for women. Testosterone replacement for women is pellets. You will see pellets everywhere. It is very challenging to find a prescribing physician that is going to prescribe a woman testosterone cream over pellets. Most of them do pellets because it's a big moneymaker. Right. So I don't agree with that because I've had a woman, for instance, who was like, oh my God, I got these pellets put in. I gained 20 pounds. I'm so bloated and have so much water retention. I'm breaking out in acne. This was month one. So yeah. here's this poor woman. She's got to wait for three months. Yeah. And I've seen this several times happen. So Never start with pellets. If it's something you want to try down the road, great. Give it a shot. You know, every, there's something's going to work for everybody, right? So, right. but get to where your levels are and see how your body's breaking it down first by getting on testosterone replacement and then doing a test like this. Because now we go down here and then we get to androstenedine, which is another hormone that is going to break down into testosterone and down into these metabolites. So these are Amy's metabolites, which we have etio, I can never say this right, etiocolonolone. <laughs> it's the E1. It's the E1. And then we have androsterone. I can say that one. Etiocolonolone. Kalanolone. <laughs> okay. So if we look at Amy's, 
you'll see that her edio one is really low and her androsterone is high. That is the more, it's not high, it's in the middle, but that is the more masculine metabolite. And then we look down at this diol because this is the, the edio is more of a beta preference, which is just a softer metabolite. And then the androsterone is more alpha. And you can think that just sounds like yeah. alpha. It's the, the alpha, alpha hormone. Yeah. yeah. Amy leans so far over to the alpha side. So we've seen it in her androsterone. Then we see it on this fan that she is way preferring what's called the 5-alpha reductase pathway, which means she's converting a lot of her androgens into a very potent testosterone called dihydrotestosterone. Mm -hmm. So maybe this would be a nice opportunity for you to tell us your theory that was right. Right. I'll so when we look at blood, my DHT is elevated. So we know my test is elevated, DHT is elevated, SHBG is elevated. The one thing we know about SHBG is it actually prefers to bind to DHT first. So, and then it kind of goes down the path of the, you know, free testosterone, estrogen, T3, all those other hormones. So I think, because I, just for the record, for anyone who's never seen me, I don't look like a dude. And for the record, I don't have cystic acne. I don't have dark hair growth. I don't have any of the five alpha reductase pathway being high towards the alpha androgenic side effects. So my theory is that my SHBG is binding to the DHT. I don't have male pattern baldness either. High DHT is where we see that hair loss in females around the crown that, that is that male pattern baldness. Don't have that. So that SHBG is binding to the DHT and literally saving me from the androgenic side effects of an elevated testosterone. 100%. Yeah. Yep. So if her SHBG wasn't so elevated, she would have enlarged pores, super oily skin. She'd be like having whiskers. She's like, mm -hmm. she said, you'd be balding at the top. So why men bald? They have lots of DHT. Mm -hmm. and, and when you have lots of DHT, you're going to lose your hair typically. It's not, a, it's not the devil of hormone. We still want it. It's really great for muscle growth. Yep. And we want that. We want androgens. So they're very important. What a lot of women actually don't know is that testosterone is our most abundant hormone in our body naturally. So yeah. we produce more testosterone than we do estrogen or progesterone. We just don't produce as much as a man does, right. which, you know, this, you know, of course men can get, of course there's free testosterone available in serum, but God forbid they give us free estrogen and serum that this right. makes no sense, but of right. course the man has it. And if a man goes to his doctor and asks for testosterone, it's given out like candy. Mm -hmm. But that yet they forget that women, this is our most abundant hormone. Most doctors don't even know that. So yeah. hence yeah. why it's no. very challenging to get testosterone at times. So if we look over at her progesterone, so this is interesting. The metabolites put together equals about halfway through the dial, which is great. But then we look down at her two metabolites, the main progesterone metabolites. Once again, there's a beta side and there's an alpha side. Amy's really low on the beta side and super high on the alpha side. So we're starting to see this pattern. She's got high cortisol. She's got high alpha pregnadiol, which is the alpha metabolite for progesterone. And she's preferring the five alpha preference for testosterone. So she's a very 
alpha woman, which you are. Your personality is like that. It's great. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Now, my blood progesterone was only 0.1. Yes. Yeah. So that's, and she was on some progesterone replacement, correct? Yeah. A hundred milligrams of the micronized at night oral. I take it three weeks out of the month instead of two. Great. And so that is why the alpha is also elevated. Sometimes we'll see it even out when women take oral progesterone, but most oral progesterone is going to convert down into these metabolites. Mm-hmm. And it really does favor the alpha side. That's the side that will react on the GABA receptors of the brain and help you to sleep at night. It can't oral and topical progesterone, oral better than topical, but it won't show up in blood work. It blood work is the worst marker for progesterone replacement therapy. So doctors will look at it and be like, well, you're not getting your progesterone when you're using hundred milligrams or 50 milligrams of topical progesterone or oral progesterone. And it, it's going to, it won't show. So the doctor doesn't think you're getting it. So hundred milligrams of oral progesterone only converts down to 20 milligrams of actual progesterone. The rest go into metabolites, which you see on her Dutch test. So this is not a bad thing. Some women are sensitive to that alpha pregnadiol. Mm-hmm. Amy's not, she does really well with it. A lot of women, they like it to be elevated because that's what helps them to sleep. And it's very anti-anxiety. So that's a great marker the occasional woman will take oral and get super depressed i'm one of them super depressed and weepy and feel so sleepy and that's because they have a sensitivity in those gaba receptors and so they're not a good candidate for oral progesterone i cannot take it personally now you had mentioned possibly me changing to topical progesterone because of it pushing down the alpha yeah yeah a combination so that you get a little more of that beta happening. Mm -hmm. So that could be good for you. Like if you're good on the hundred, you could top it up with like 20 milligrams of progesterone cream um, and use it in that second half of your cycle. If you're still a cycling woman, which you are. Yep. Okay. So now we get to the fun estrogen. This is where I feel like, I mean, the, for sure, the androgens, this is awesome to see because it really explains what What's happening when you're breaking down the androgens and if you're a good candidate for testosterone replacement, and it doesn't mean if you happen to break out when you start testosterone, it doesn't, or DHEA, it doesn't mean you can't take it. There's some great supplements that help you move the dial over to the better preference. So I've put, I told Amy, that's what she should be taking. She needs Mm -hmm. to take you know, saw palmetto, nettle, zinc, these are all things that are going to push down that better preference. So as she's taking her SHBG fixer, she can take this as well. So now we're lowering that SHBG as we're forcing her down that other pathway with supplements. And I do take, just for the record, I take SHBG fixer, even though I don't want to lower it too much so that it starts releasing the DHT. I still take it because you get those benefits of the Toncat. You get the other benefits of the boron. I just don't take it every day. I just throw it in maybe every other day. And then I stack hormone fixer with my injectable testosterone because of exactly what you're saying. It has saw palmetto and zinc in it. So I'm still getting that little bit of testosterone help, the growth hormone help, but I'm getting the the blocking of the just like you said with the salt palmetto, the blocking of that pushing down the five alpha reductase pathway. 
So yep. I think that's why I'm okay. Like I'm doing the right things without even knowing I was doing the right things until now. Yeah, absolutely are. And that product is perfect. I looked at the ingredients. It's great for that. This is something that you'll find as well, ladies, in certain hair growth serums is they'll have saw palmetto in the serum. So it when you put it on your scalp, it can constrict, no, sorry, release. It'll block the DHTA from constricting the hair follicles. <clears throat> okay, so now we get to her estrogen. So like I said, this is a really important marker of Dutch that can't be repeated in blood at all. So first we have her three estrogens, estrone, estradiol, and estriol. Her estrone and estradiol, once again, they look okay, but they're on the lower side. And we know thanks to her FSH that she is getting a little too low. We want to bump this estradiol up a little bit uh, because she'll probably feel better. And estrogen counteracts that androgenic testosterone. So it softens us. It's our female hormone. So it's going to come in and it's going to counterbalance all those androgens for her. Her estriol, which is the weakest form of our estrogen, and we produced most of it when we're pregnant. So we don't want to have this super high, but this can be a reflection actually of vagina health. And Amy's got great vagina health. She's not suffering from this at all because she still has some estradiol, but estriol is like a thousand times more present in the vagina tissue than anywhere else in the system. So some women, when they lose the estriol will get developed dry vagina or their vagina can start to atrophy. And so putting some estriol cream right up inside the vagina can be life-saving for some women in menopause and perimenopause that are having that symptom. Mm -hmm. But in general, we want, we just, we want to leave the estradiol to convert down into estriol if she's not having any problems with it. So her topping up her estradiol will naturally raise that estriol a little bit. It's, so these three, besides the estriol, these two look okay. We need a little bump up in them. And it's really, once again, I would ask, be asking the client, how do you feel? Are you getting hot flashes? Some women, they get halfway on that dial and they're already experiencing symptoms of low estrogen. So we really want to listen to you, the, the, the client and say, okay, well, how are you feeling? Genetic wise, you can be more prone to being estrogenic or more prone to being androgenic. We know that Amy's more androgenic. I am way more estrogenic. So if you looked at my estrogen levels, I always have, I'm very estrogenic. I've got the the hips. I have a very hard time losing. That's weight. why you have good skin. That's how you're all. Yes. Yeah. I got great skin. I got great yeah. breasts, yep. which is thanks to my Damn. estrogen. I got the hips. I got the butt. So, People and it's not a bad thing, now, Karen, people that, pay for that. That's true. That's true. And I should boobs just, and butt. They're shelling out thousands. You got it naturally. <laughs> yes. I always, my sister is so funny. Cause if you put my sister and I together, she's super androgenic, always has been. And she's this wiry, tiny, like never has gained weight on her body. She always looks super muscular, even though she doesn't lift weights. And I'm like, you are so lucky that you were like this, <laughs> but she's got no, no breasts, no hips, no butt. So yeah, we'll, we'll thank my, we'll, I'll, I'll take what I got. Right. That's all right. Okay. So once this, the, we produce our estrogen, now we have to get rid of it. So now we have, we look at these three dials that come underneath. 
these are the the first phase, so phase one detox of estrogen. We've got the 2-OH, which is hydroxylation, and then we've got a 4-hydroxylation, and we have a 16-hydroxylation. So let's first look at the 16. The 16 breaks down a lot of the estriol, so Amy's is low because she doesn't have a lot to break down. It used to, th they used to believe this was, had some danger to it, that they didn't want to see it too high because they thought it may increase the risk of breast cancer. New research is showing that it might not, that it could be a safer pathway than we thought. It is proliferative. So when you think like that, it's like, oh, but that makes things multiply. Breast cancer, not good, but it's great for bone health. So we we don't want to see 16 OH too low because that could impair our bone health. We want to be able to create new osteoblasts in the bones. We want it to be proliferative in the bone. So hers is a bit low, but like I said, it's mostly going to be because that she doesn't have a ton of estriol happening. We look then down at the 4-hydroxylation. So this is the more this is the most toxic pathway that you can push your estrogen down. Now we're just looking at her how she's breaking down estrone. There they do show you E2 as well, which is estradiol, but we won't go there today. So she is pushing her highest marker is the 4-hydroxylation. So it does go along with Amy's whole profile. She's just this, she's heading, she strongly heads down these more stronger pathways in her system. Mm -hmm. It's likely genetic. I don't know. Have you done genetic testing, Amy? Uh, I am waiting as we speak on my DNA results. So, awesome. So that yeah. it, I'll be so interested to see. I'm not super well-versed in them. I think it complicates me, but I'm trying, <laughs> trying to understand it and trying to tie it in with, hormone testing as much as I can. So hers is at the high end of range. We know that for OH, there is research that shows that women that have breast cancer typically have an elevated 4-hydroxylation. So it, it can create DNA damage. And if she doesn't go into phase two, from because phase one has to go into phase two, and then it then we get rid of it out of the body. So we're just packaging up our estrogen through these phases and saying, "Get the heck out of here! We've used what we can. Now get out." Because if it doesn't get out, you start to recirculate. Mm -hmm. So if Amy doesn't methylate it out, which we'll get to what that is in phase two, it can then go on to to become a quinone which is very reactive and can cause dna damage then we have the 2oh this is the pathway we want to favor the most it's the safest pathway to break our estrogen down and amy's got fantastic levels of 2oh so that does counterbalance that 4oh we can see here in her little pie chart how she's breaking things down. And she's got great levels because of that 2OH. Her pie chart looks really good because we want to see that it's mostly green and hers is. So we want to support Amy's 4OH pathway. So 
a lot of practitioners and a lot of people use methane or calcium D-glucurate. These two are absolutely fabulous for detoxing estrogen. Like amazing. It's the top supplements for detoxing estrogen. If you have estrogen dominant, like true estrogen dominance, you've got too much. It's going to help to get, get that down. Mm-hmm. In somebody like Amy, who doesn't have a lot of estrogen, and we don't, so we don't want to drain that estrogen because she's not estrogen dominant. Right. So we have my blood to be very trial. selective. Yeah. Yes. And, and then your FSH, your blood work shows low estrogen. Yeah. 15, 15. Yes. And that's quite low. So yeah. we want to make sure that we don't give her things that are going to drain the estrogen, but she needs support on that pathway. So and acetylcysteine would be fantastic. As you can see here, there's this little glutathione arrow. So we want to support glutathione and acetylcysteine is a precursor to making glutathione. Or you can take straight up glutathione, uh, liposomal glutathione as well. Um, I don't particularly like liposomal. Do you like liposomal glutathione? Do you use it? You know, the only one I use would be Designs for Health because they they actually get it from Quicksilver Scientific. I totally mm. trust Dr. Chris Shade in- Same reducing that glutathione to that nanoparticle that can be absorbed. But if you get it anywhere else, it's not, it's not small enough to get absorbed. So you might as well use NAC. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like it's, it's, it's tolerated better. Yeah. The NAC. I love yeah. it. I yeah, love it. So if glutathione it, is so detoxifying, people can oh, get kind of like that detox icky feeling. It, yeah. I don't feel yeah. good when I use it. So NAC is great. Um, this picture is so great for us to see because if Amy jumped on estradiol right now, she has a very small chance that it would make her gain weight because she's elevated in that 4-hydroxylation. So a lot of women, if they if I start them with some estrogen, their doctor starts them on estrogen because I said, okay, you've got low estradiol, go get some estrogen, and she gains weight. I will always put them on some phase one. If I see it in here, if their 4-OH is elevated, then I'll say, okay, you need to take a step back and you need to get these pathways open and then start the estrogen again. So that happened to me. Um, soon as I started taking the N-acetylcysteine and started you know, paying more attention, eating more cruciferous vegetables, there's lots of things that you can do to help that phase one liver support, just phase one and two of liver support. B vitamins could be great. They're not great for Amy and I'll tell you why. But ashwagandha would be another good one. Iodine is really good for that pathway. So you want to start taking things that are going to support that phase one, but that aren't going to drain the estrogen. Mm -hmm. So this is where no blood work could ever tell us this. So, and this is huge. This is really important. We don't want Amy starting estradiol if she's pushing down this toxic pathway until we see that she's got some things in place that are going to help her get out of this alpha phase and pushing more towards the beta. So great though, that her 2OH is so high things. If if the estrogen was elevated, then for sure, I would be using DIM, calcium D-glucurate. And those two supplements really help to improve the 2-hydroxylation. It's amazing for that. So after phase one, so now we've got it all packaged up. Now it has to attach to what's called a methyl group in order to get through phase two detoxification. 
So you don't need to know all of the, you know, all of what that is. It's just safe to say we need to get through phase one. Now we have to get through phase two. And then phase three is pooping it out. We need all of these clear. So Amy, as you can see, this is her two methoxy E1. So this is how she's methylating. She is over range. So Amy is highly methylating her estrogen. What does this mean? Well, it's probably due to her genetics. So it'll be super interesting to see if it lines up with her genetic SNPs because she may it may show, sure enough, that she's an overmethylator. Some people, more people, I think, are undermethylators than overmethylators, but both aren't good. We don't want to overmethylate. We don't want to undermethylate. So Amy would be somebody that has to be very careful with methylated B vitamins. If she was undermethylating, I would say take a methylated B vitamin complex, B12, B6 specifically, but you always want to take those Bs together. SAMe is a great, it's a methyl, it's the methyl donor, which once again, you don't need to know all this, but SAMe, B methylated Bs, magnesium, these are all great things to help you methylate. All right, ladies, I am going to run. Karen is going to finish this up. I am jumping over to my group, but this has been amazing. This has been a perfect breakdown. Just the information so far has been crazy. So it, it, I like it because it's opened my eyes to the possibility of using Dutch with patients to get this detailed nitty gritty info. So Karen, thank you so much. Yes. And thanks for continuing with this. I thought it was going to be like 20 minutes. I'm like, oh, this will be so fast and easy. It just so. gets, yeah, we get down the rabbit hole and it's just fun. Who knew? Okay. Hormones are fun. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> All right. So Amy's out and I'm going to continue. You're going to keep going. All righty. All right. So we're at the phase two. We can see that she overmethylates. So she would actually be, she needs to be careful with things that she's taking as supplements because we don't want to overdo the B vitamins. That'll make her methylate even faster. She could main want to actually watch what she's eating as far as red meat that has methionine in it, eggs. Uh, these things could make her overmethylate too much because methionine helps with that as well. So she just needs to be careful. So we want to see that this dial, the methoxy to the two methoxy is about half or more of the 2OH. And then this dial, the, the, once again, this fan, we want to see that it's halfway or a little bit farther up. And that would mean that you are perfectly methylating. If the fan is pushed low, then we know that you're not methylating and that this 2-methoxy is too low in comparison to the 2-hydroxylation, which I know this is probably like I'm talking in another language, so just bear with me. I'm just going to, we want, we need to see this because if this, if she was a slow methylator, that could back up her phase one detoxification and then it could raise her estrogen levels. So it's it could be a reason why somebody would be estrogen dominant. So estrogen dominance, this term is thrown around like crazy. Now I've got a whole podcast about what true estrogen dominance is. But estrogen dominance, you really want to see 
where in your phases of detoxification are you being held up? So phase three is considered pooping it out. So if you're not pooping, but yet, and then all of these things are all backed up, you need to go upstream to the phase three or downstream, however that were phase three, and say, why am I not pooping enough? Am I not eating enough fiber? Am I having food sensitivities? Do I have some small intestinal bacteria overgrowth? Do I just have, maybe I have hypothyroidism. And hypothyroidism, as you know, can cause constipation. So instead of just like, if I put somebody that had estrogen dominance and that all of these dials maybe were elevated and or let's say 2OH sorry was was depleted and 4OH was elevated and the the methylation was low and i just threw that person on a bunch of methylators and a calcium deglucrate and diendylmethane and yet they're still not pooping well that's not what is that going to do so we need to say okay where is it getting backed up and so some people can be backed up all three phases. Some of them are just going to be poor methylators. So if you're a poor methylator, but yet you're detoxing in that phase one really well, I'm not going to go give you a bunch of DIM and calcium D-glucarate. I'm going to give you something that's going to help you methylate because that's where you're being held up. So super important for menopausal women, what I typically like to do because they don't Menopausal women that aren't producing, you know, they've been in menopause for a few years or they're just not cycling, they typically don't have progesterone or estrogen unless they're on replacement therapy. Some women in menopause still continue producing testosterone and DHEA. Some people actually have okay levels of DHEA, even though it is a, what's called an age related hormone. So it will go down with age. So you can get a picture of that and the adrenal status on this in menopausal women. But what I like to do um, is have women that are not on hormone replacement that are in menopause do blood work first, then they can start their hormones, their bioidentical hormones. Then in three months, I'll have them do the Dutch test so we can make sure they're breaking it down, especially if they're not. If, especially if they're having troubles with their HRT. So maybe they're breaking out in acne, maybe they've gained a little weight or having water retention or depression. And, you know, it's not always, you know, roses and rainbows when you start HRT. Most of the time I would say it is, but some of the time it's not to about, you know, I would say 25, 30% of women, they will have a negative reaction and you need to see what's going on, or they don't have any really, any much of a reaction. And so you want to say, okay, well, what's happening? What's the big picture here? Why are they not getting what they should be out of this hormone replacement therapy? And then we also want to make sure that because they could feel amazing, like Amy feels amazing, but yet her four hydroxylation is a little too elevated. And so we want to know safety wise that there isn't being, there isn't DNA damage happening um, in that that person isn't pushing their HRT, their estrogen down that very toxic pathway. And we want to make sure that it's not elevated for safety. All right. So that's once again, the next page is a combination of everything. So now we're going to look at her adrenal profile. Once again, some of all three of the DHEA and the DHEA uh, metabolism 
metabolites, then we know that her metabolized cortisol is too high. We want to see that cortisone and cortisol match up. And so when we look at these two graphs, we want to see that they're relatively the same because cortisone and cortisol will convert back and forth into each other. And it just confirms, it's just a good way to confirm the validity of the free cortisol pattern. Because some people don't realize that, for instance, if they're using prednisone or if they've got, you know, a cortisol cream, some sort of hydrocortisone cream for their psoriasis, and they've got it on their fingers or their mouth or something, and they can contaminate the free cortisol levels with that. And so we want to see that these two match up. So this is deactivated cortisol and activated cortisol. And we just want to know that they can go back and forth and they're relatively the same, which Amy's is relatively the same. And you can see here the sum of her two values. They're both on the higher end. She's deactivating a little bit more, and that's probably because of the speed, the metabolism, how much it has been sped up because of her thyroid medication. So, and then we can see that her, once again, the meta the total metabolized cortisol is a little too high. This is likely because Amy is on a healthy dose of T3 medication. All right. And then in, in the Dutch test, they do the organic acids. So this is a marker of how is your B12? How is your B6? How well are you detoxing through that glutathione marker? We've got a biotin marker, gut marker, dopamine, norepinephrine, epinephrine, neuroinflammation, melatonin, and oxidative stress. So this is just an additional window into what's happening. So Amy is overmethylating, so she's above the range, but sometimes it means they're deficient if they're above range because it means they're peeing it out too much. And so their body doesn't actually have enough, but then it can also be a spillover of too much. So we want Amy to test her B12 through blood just to confirm that, yes, she does have plenty in her body. B6 is within range, her glutathione is within range. And even though it's in within range, I would still recommend N-acetylcysteine because of her 4-hydroxylation is elevated. And we just want to support that pathway. Biotin is high end of range. So my guess is she may be a little bit deficient in biotin. I do believe she's got it in her hair fixer product. So she's she'd be good to take that because biotin is very important for the health of our hair. Her gut is doing well, which I would imagine because she's a healthy woman and not to say, sorry, you can be healthy, very healthy with a really poor gut. <laughs> so dopamine is within range. Norepinephrine is low end of range, but it's okay. Neuroinflammation she's got within range. Melatonin, interestingly, is low end of range. So melatonin is very important, um, not just for sleep, but it's very important antioxidant. So that could really help with that 4-OH pathway because that can create oxidative stress. And so because melatonin is this great antioxidant, we would want her to supplement with some melatonin right now because she is on the low side, so she could use it. So small amount, like three milligrams at nighttime would be fantastic for her. 
Um, it also resveratrol. I didn't talk about that. Resveratrol can be really great for an elevated 4-hydroxylation pathway. And then her oxidative stress, which just is a measure of what's happening all over the body, is actually within range, which is positive. I would have been a little bit worried that hers might be elevated because she's pushing down that alpha side so hard. Okay, so from here, we're going to look at a different urine hormone metabolite test. And I wanted to show everybody this because the this one is from a different lab. It's, it's by ZRT, which is also one of the top hormone labs in America. So the two top ones are Dutch and ZRT and I think Genova, if they're still doing it. There's a couple other ones that are doing them, but these are the two I would say most popular. Um, so this one looks a little different. It doesn't have the nice dials and pictures, which is, is unfortunate. I, I do like the dials that Dutch has. This ZRT, so I'll share my screen here for those that are watching. As you can see, it's all in a line. Many, many of the same markers. It has more markers than the Dutch does, but it doesn't have the organic acids tests. So if you want to see those organic acids, the B6, B12, glutathione, the, in, the gut marker, the oxidative stress marker, then you would be best to get the Dutch test. If you don't care about those or that's fine and you want to save some money because this test, it's got more metabolites. So it's going to tell you even more about your hormones it's $100 less than Dutch. So I've been using, I, I was solely using the Dutch for urine. Now I've started using my ZRT because it saves my clients money. And who doesn't want to save money? Like, hello. So this one, you can see it still has all the same metabolites plus some and it's a great test. This also has bisphenol A, which is a really great marker to see. This is, a, you know, what comes from plastic. It's a xenoestrogen. So we can see if the person is getting a buildup of, of bisphenol A, which I really like to see that. Let's see what else is different. The other difference. So we've got some extra markers. The difference is they do a four-point melatonin. So this sample report shows that this person's very low in melatonin, probably isn't sleeping right, and they're very low in cortisol as well. So this next one is a very standard, simple saliva test. This is going to tell you just what are your free levels of hormones, which is awesome. This is a great one, I think, for fertile women that are still regularly cycling that aren't on HRT because HRT will overshow on a saliva test. So it's not, I don't like to, to use them if the person's taking any hormone replacement therapy at all. It can be less expensive, which would be another reason why somebody may choose this over the more comprehensive metabolite test. This is the one that I did for years, and it was great. It, it does give you a lot of information. It's going to be a great thing to see, to see how much of available hormones you actually have in the body. And you're going to get estrogen, progesterone. You're going to get that ratio between estrogen and progesterone. You're going to get testosterone, DHE. And 
a four-point cortisol marker, which is, once again, that gold standard of way of testing cortisol. But as you can see here, we don't get to see what the metabolized cortisol is. So we could look at this and be like, oh, this person's got really great cortisol levels. But what if their metabolized cortisol is super low? And that's indicating that there could be some hypothyroidism and that we want to possibly speed that up and not go drain out their cortisol. Like maybe that, what if the saliva showed elevated cortisol, but a slow metabolized cortisol? That's a problem because then you're going to go stick somebody on something to drain their cortisol when really the only reason why their cortisol is high is because they're not metabolizing it out. So they could still have adrenal issues, even though like low adrenal function and overall like a low production of cortisol, but it's that they're not metabolizing it out fast enough. Or sorry, did I say that right? So if they have all high cortisol, but they're low metabolizers, we don't want to drain it. Uh, we just want to speed up that metabolism so to regulate those cord those free cortisol levels properly. So it's good, but it certainly doesn't give you the whole picture. But like I said, it's still a great place to start if you know you're just you know you're in your 30s, you're just wanting to see your hormone, your free hormone levels. Like I said, I did this one for probably on and off for 10 years. I did saliva first. Now I, I strictly do urine. All right. So that, my friends, is it. I, I wonder if many of you have questions. If you do, just throw them into the comment section of wherever you're watching this, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube. And I always check the comments so I can reply to you if you do have questions. Because I know this was probably like sitting in a science class and to learn about hormones. But most people, you know, when they do the Dutch or they wonder, should I be doing this? Why would I want to do this urine test? You can see now how much this could tell you. And this, I just see this as such value in my own clients. And a lot of people will say, well, why not just do blood? Like who cares? Just, I want to do the free blood test. And it's like, sure, go for it. You can, you can try, you can give it a go. And a lot of people do okay with that. But I think it's much better with the way we are nowadays and how complicated our hormones have become, how much toxins we have coming at us that could be holding us up on the inside when it comes to detoxification, detox, detoxifying our hormones. I really want to see the big picture so I can come at it from a, as much as a holistic standpoint as I can. You know, if somebody's got hypothyroidism and they they don't know it, that could tell them that, you know, that could say, hey, your, your metabolism is low by the looks of it. Let's do some thyroid testing and see what's happening. Or, hey, you know what? You're super androgenic. Could you possibly have polycystic ovarian syndrome? Let's do some blood work and find out if it coincides with how you're metabolizing your androgens and how high they are on that test. And then you can get them on supplements that can push down that beta pathway. So it can tell you things that a blood test cannot tell you. Uh, I think it's just an incredible test, uh, really helps women to dial in 
weight loss when they're in menopause and perimenopause so that we can really see in there where are they getting held up that could be causing their weight gain. All right, so that is it. Thank you, Amy, for doing this with me. I think it's fantastic, and I hope you guys got a lot of value out of it.